Hi, I'm Oki. And I'm Caddy. And this is Books, Cats, and Snacks. Books, Cats, and Snacks. Books, Cats, and Snacks. <laughs> books, Cats, and Snacks. Books, Cats, and Snacks. I forgot to do it last time. Now I'm going to do it this time. Books, Cats, and Snacks. Happy New Year. Books, Cats, Happy and Snacks. Happy New Year. Please make me stop because I can. Okay. Well, I was just going to get you so, to keep going. Don't, don't make me. Don't make me do this. I thing. was enjoying it. No, you weren't. I wasn't sure if I should, like, clap and stuff. <laughs> Yeah, do yeah. a little beat, whatever you beat. call it. I don't know what to call <laughs> it. So I'm t- I'm that old. Yep. Okay. So welcome to our show. Yeah, this guys. is the first of the year, so we're excited. Mm-hmm. And we want to talk to you a little bit about our new structure. Mm-hmm. Well, we already started doing it. So yep. as usual, we pick a book a month to be discussed in next month. And we also have a midway check-in where we talk about the books that we've been obsessed with on our own. Mm-hmm. But we even made more things to, for yeah, us because there do. wasn't enough Oki and Caddy <laughs> to go around. We're like, you know what? Let's put a little bit extra. Let's, let's throw it in there. Super size. <laughs> so we decided to do mini soats even in between the betweens. Anyway, we're available every in week between now. Between the betweens, <laughs> right. but a big book discussion is only once a month. Yeah. Because um, Caddy and I don't want to read more than that. We wish we could, yeah, but we it's can't. Just, there's not enough time in the day. And there are some books out there that really takes a lot of our time. Yeah. Like this book. Yeah, this like this time. one. This one's a bit. This right. is a bit merch this time. So before we get into our discussion this week, let's start with our cat story. <laughs> our New Year's cat story. Yes. Okay, so Christmas just passed. Yes, and it was amazing. Yes, so each girl, Creos and Oreo, they each have their little stocking. Yes, they do, because my cats have stockings. <laughs> if you're a person in my house, you will have a stocking. Our you, dog had one, too. Yes, <laughs> so they had um, treats and a brand new collar, Aww. you know, in their stocking, because I do it every year. So I have, like, you know, 10 collars at my house, and it's just so cute seeing her little neck. When she was a little baby kitten, and now when she's a my big old chunky butt. <laughs> and um, Oreo's like, all right, come on, let's get this over with. She already knows the drill at this point. Collar on, collar off. She's like, all right, whatever. Creos is not happy about this. She the does not collar take change? the collar change. She does not like this. Like, she clings to it. Like, I take it off, and she's like, what do you, what do you, no, no, that's mine. That's uh-huh. mine. That's mine. <laughs> And she, like, clings to it. And I'm like, I just want to change it out. It's dirty and dingy. You got into pudding. And I'm, like, trying to take it away from her. And it was just the whole thing. And I'm, you know, changing it out. And I look over at Oreo. And she's just, like, Amateur. <laughs> I'm going to go eat my treats whenever you're done with this. You know, so. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't get Chris to change out Creos. I... He stuff. was doing something, and oh, okay. I just had no patience because I didn't want to wait for him to finish that one thing he was doing. Because I was like, "Color change now!" <laughs> so I wanted to do it. And even when he does it, you know, it's it's still the same. It's not just because of me changing it. It's just right. her, like she needs it. And even after the fact, when we changed it to her new collar, because we got him like kind of matching uh-huh. collars, kind of like, "Hey, we're a family now." Yeah, and you know they still don't like each other. So <laughs> Oreo's like running around. She has pineapples on hers. Creos Aww. has Creos has strawberries. So <laughs> you know, even though she's still like mad at me now. So she was mad at me for a little bit, but she was over it. So okay, that's what happened at my house. The collar, the changing of the collar at Christmas. Right. So. It's gonna be a yearly thing. Yes, yes. Now we so know. She has to get now used we know this. <laughs> Okay, so let's go ahead and get into our book discussion this week because Caddy and I have so much to say and 
I mean, we say that about every book yeah. that we discuss, that we read the book of the month stuff. But mm-hmm. this particular one came out of left field for us. Yes. We decided to read The Bell Jar by Sylvia Plath. And it all started because Caddy wanted to read a classic. Oh, blame it on me, woman. Well, I think no, ultimately this was the one I picked. I think ultimately. <laughs> you picked this so. classic this time. I picked the next one. <laughs> the Bell Jar has been on my bookshelf for a long time. And mm-hmm. I've heard, you know, I've heard what it's about, but I never really... I never really attacked it. Um, mm-hmm. So I figured this was a great opportunity to do so. Yeah. Before we start, go ahead, Caddy. All right. On this particular episode, there are going to be some triggering um, themes in this book, yeah. which, fair warning, spoiler alert, whatever, red flag, you know, that you need to know about. Um, there are themes of depression, themes of suicide, themes of rape. Oh, there's a few like racial slurs in this book because right. it's a dated book. You know, there's a few things that are a little sensitive, sensitive subject. subjects yeah. for us. So just a fair warning ahead of time. So if any of these trigger you or you don't feel it, you're more than welcome to skip to our next episode. Maybe listen to a previous episode because they will be addressed. And with that, with those themes, we are going to kind of jump around a little bit more than normal right. to kind of address these things. Because we are not psychiatrists, we are not psychologists, we are not therapists. All right. So we don't mean any ill will, we don't mean to be insensitive. We are purely just going to be talking about how the well the book is written, this subject, you know, because of subject matter, we just wanted to get that point across. So typically this part of the episode, before we get into our big discussion, mm-hmm. we talk about the author a little bit. Mm-hmm. Silver Plath is very, very popular author and poet. I actually want to talk about her life after our discussion of the book because it kind of mirrors it a little bit. Yep. But Caddy's going to read what the book's about first. Okay. So this is the about the book that's actually in the book. It's in the you know the for the title page. So So Esther Greenwood is a brilliant, beautiful, enormously talented and successful, but slowly going under. Maybe for the last time. In her acclaimed and enduring masterwork, Sylvia Plath brilliantly draws the reader into Esther's breakdown with such intensity that her insanity becomes palpably real, even <laughs> rational, as accessible an experience as it is going to the movies. A deep penetration to the darkest and most harrowing corners of the human psyche. The Bell Jar is an extraordinary accomplishment in a haunting American classic. Okay, so the book starts with, It was a queer, sultry summer. The summer they electrocuted the Rosenbergs. And I didn't know what I was doing in New York. We actually get introduced into the world of Esther. Esther. But this world of Esther, to me, versus later in the book, it was as if I was reading two different books. Yeah. What is it? The summer of 1953, which was the execution of the Rosenbergs. Right. And that's... So she, you know, she's that early late teens, early 20s age where you really start to branch out and think about the world around you, sympathize with, I'm sorry, empathize with others, you know, start to see maybe the social inadequacies in the world. Right. You know, when you're in college, you start to branch out, you meet new people, you start to get a grasp of the world and everything around it. So she's at that age. Pretty much Esther gets kind of like an internship with Mm -hmm. this magazine with Mm -hmm. a group of girls. In New York. In New York, Mm -hmm. and they get to go to parties, they get free dresses, but she also has to, like, write articles about it. Mm -hmm. 
And we, she's a brilliant writer. Like, that's her ultimate goal. Like, she wants right, to be a writer. Right, she wants to be a wonderful writer. Like we said, this is kind of a, kind of an autobiography of Semi-autobiography. Semi Before we keep going about what has happened to Esther, I want to mention that we don't even know her name is Esther until at least 30 pages in, which, is, <laughs> which I thought was kind of weird. But anyways, yeah. Kenny and I are going to say what we think about the book overall first, because it's how we have to approach discussing this book. Mm-hmm. And we did not like this book. I, I have to say it wasn't one of my favorites yet. And it's not because of the subject matter in which it deals within this book. It that just, It's not because yeah. of the things, that subject matter. It's not because of what Esther has gone through. Because Esther at the beginning is, a, to, oh, to be honest, is a really annoying girl. She's a character I didn't care about. And mm. she's the main protagonist in this you know, in this book, and I just didn't really like her. And I've listened to some other people's, like, views of the book, and they're like, hey, she didn't even realize that she was going through a downward spiral mentally, mm-hmm. you know, until a little bit later on. Mm-hmm. And I kind of disagree. I think from the get-go, she makes little comments during this New York time of hers mm-hmm. that she's she's feeling down, or I don't want to do this, I, I feel low, I don't like this. You know, but that's not the reason why we didn't like the book. We just... Didn't really, I guess, I don't know, the, get hooked on Esther immediately. Yeah, yeah, I didn't really get hooked into it. I just, the pacing of it too. I don't know. I just really, I, 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 just, I really wasn't feeling it. I wasn't. And <laughs> it's a, which is fine. Which is, in all honesty, I'm, you know, we listen because we're going to give our honest opinions about things. I'm not going to be fake to you out right. there, book people of my life. It just wasn't a hit for me. Right. Personally. Even though we enjoy dark humor, mm-hmm. we enjoy really quirky stuff mm-hmm. that comes out of these different characters. Yeah. But there's something about what Esther was going through that, that we liked very much. And mm-hmm. and that was okay. But we wanted to stick through the book, though. I was going to read. I was going to finish reading it because I was like, I have to know what happened. Well, we have the show. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, well, me personally, like reading, I was like, ah, uh, but I'm going to be like, you know what? Maybe it gets better a little bit better. Maybe. Oh yeah, I'm just I'm I'm definitely gonna be like I'm gonna finish it because I'm not gonna just give up on something halfway through. Right. I'm like no, I'm gonna finish it. You know, because right. if something happens and I didn't give Esther a chance, and at the end I feel like a jerk because I didn't take it seriously, then you know, then that's me. And I'm gonna tell you guys like, right. oh man, I felt like such a jerk because I never, you know, I didn't feel it. But even then, at the end, I was still like empty. But then again, I'm like maybe that's how we were supposed to feel—a little empty, a little. I felt like. There was a redemption a little bit toward, toward the end. The end. Uh-huh. And I was telling Caddy that I finished the book maybe a few days before she did. And mm-hmm. I said, once you finish it, you'll feel a little bit of redemption. Like mm-hmm. sh- the book redeemed itself a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit. I still have moments that I enjoy throughout this book. Mm-hmm. But there were more moments of I was like, Ugh, let me just get through this. Like I didn't. <laughs> I hope I'm not yeah. offending anybody, but there are people out there like us who didn't like it. Um, I always felt like we're well, supposed to like classics. Yeah. That's why they're classics, but you know, not the case, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> so pretty much the bell jar. It's 1953. Esther's in New York. She's on an internship. She's modeling with other girls. And you kind of slowly, and she talks a lot about being normal feeling normal Mm -hmm. you know about being like all the other girls even though she feels inadequate even though she feels insecure because she's not especially with Doreen Doreen's the beautiful blonde Barbie doll who's kind of like 
you know, every girl has that f- that beautiful friend, or maybe you're that beautiful friend that you kind of just like hang back. <laughs> that always wants to party. You kind of just hang back, right? You know what I mean? That's how that's Esther. She was that hang back kind of girl, and you know, and and we all have that one friend that doesn't know, like doesn't know that hey, maybe your friend doesn't need to be with you all the time, especially when she was like getting down with that DJ. In the oh, apartment, yeah. and like I was like, and Esther's like, "Up, oh, gotta go." I'm, Bye. I'm out. You know, deuces. That happens, and the book does have its moments. It wasn't just like I hated the whole book. That's not the case. You know, I, it did have its moments of entertainment. It did have its moments of, huh? That's interesting. I can relate to that. One of the well, funny parts, I shouldn't say it like that, but when they all got food poisoning, when they went to that, um, they went yeah. to that rooftop restaurant party, and they all got food poisoning. And yeah. Doreen, the beautiful woman who, of course, is like, I didn't eat that because I was out with my boyfriend, <laughs> you know, the DJ. And everybody's sick as hell. And then you realize, like, they're at this big, fancy hotel. They're in New York. Right. You know, all these things. And they all share a bathroom. Yeah, it's weird. It's one of those old-timey, you know, old-timey buildings where everybody shares a bathroom. So it's like you're being at a dorm again, you know what I, I mean? she mentioned that. It was yeah, kind of like a dorm. Yeah, she talks about it being like a dorm. And I was like, can you imagine, just in your head, this is the part that got me, can you imagine that you are literally, it's coming out of both ends, and you got to <laughs> share a bathroom with like 10 other girls that you barely know. I don't even like having that issues with my boyfriend who I've lived with. <laughs> you know what I mean? I won't even share that experience with him. So I could imagine her, I just, I felt for her whenever she had to deal with that with the girls. With, then we meet Buddy Willard. We meet Buddy Willard, yeah. Who he is. Mm-hmm. Which he is essentially somebody that... That she knew that pretty much going to be like like, s- like her boyfriend. Yeah. That's another thing. I was like, are they engaged? Are they not engaged? Well, I think the families wanted them to be. Back in the fifties, apparently your families got you together. That's true. <laughs> you know, you you kind of not, kind of did. Are we dating? Are we not? Oh, now we're engaged. We're gonna get married. Boom! There's a baby. I don't work ever again. You know what I mean? Like getting. Yeah. Getting, I just I didn't understand their relationship. I'm like, first they were best friends. They grew up together. Well, she did. Together? She did at one point imagine what a family would mm-hmm. look like, like like future with a job, husband, children. So I feel like even though she's doing this wonderful thing in New York, whether she enjoyed it or not, there's splices of like her, like, oh, okay, I want to be married, or do I not want to be married, or mm-hmm. want to be a writer. the The buddy character reminded me of that character in. Dirty Dancing, that guy that wants to get hooked <laughs> up with... Neil. Is that his name? Neil, yes. The one that was supposed to get hooked up with uh, Baby. Baby. Because he was like the perfect... He's like that short dude. That's He's, like the cool dude. You thought he was short and stocky. I thought he that's was That's how I tall. thought Buddy was. I thought he was tall, blonde, and beautiful in my mind. That's what I thought of him. I thought of him as tall and athletic. And Bl- what is up with Buddy going to this TB camp? That's he's pretty much like going to a resort. It's like a, it's like a, it's a country that? club for being sick. The theme about this also, I felt, was because everybody kind of has money. So right. they do things a little differently, especially around this time, you know? Right. Because money was a whole... Money is still money here, of course, when you have money. But back in the day, everything was like so formal. You went to here, especially when you had TB. You know, right. he went to... I thought, you know, maybe he went to a hospital, but no, that fool went to, like, a country club, <laughs> right. like, hospital. I'm like, dang. I thought it was funny when he was talking about him going to the hospital and, like, quarantining. I'm like, oh, crap, man. Like, this even... 
even nowadays <laughs> with COVID and people quarantining. I'm it's like, like, I'm oh reading about quarantine. Again, what the hell? I can't. I can't with this quarantine. He's at like a country club. We don't send people with COVID to like a country club. They tell you to stay in your house. You watch YouTube and gain a little bit this of weight. Guy's, this guy goes to a country club yeah, instead. He, and he gained weight and she told him that he was <laughs> like he got fat. <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny when she he got a little chunky. It was kind of strange to read about her depression and how it manifests itself throughout the book. Mm-hmm. When we just read Eleanor Elephant is completely fine, which is which dealt with depression as well. But this is a whole different ball game. Yeah. I feel like maybe we can relate Eleanor a little bit more versus this book. Mm-hmm. But even then, just the character of Esther alone, I'm talking about at the beginning here. Mm-hmm. You felt that it was really pretentious and I that's the first feeling I got from it was just yeah. a sense of it was a little bit pretentious on my part and I just felt like a lot of things were just really petty. But oh, I wasn't yeah. just—I okay. wasn't sure if it was just her, her character itself, Esther herself was petty, or if that was just another. Take well, how from she her viewed depression. like food, like she really loves all that caviar. Oh yeah, she went to town. She on was that caviar. obsessed. Like she was this tall, slender woman, but she ate like there was no. But she made no that tomorrow. comment like, "Oh, I can eat anything, whatever and I want. I don't gain weight." It's like okay. Uh. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Considering I'm the complete opposite body frame from that. <laughs> I look at candy and I gain like 10 pounds. <laughs> True story, me <Yeah>. too. <laughs> but then I felt like a whole nother book happened after the whole New York thing. Yeah. When she came home. Yeah. And I felt like this is a whole nother book. Mm-hmm. I even thought if I only read after New York... Mm-hmm. To the end of the book, that would have I would have enjoyed it a lot more. You think so? I I don't I, know. I felt like I can totally just delete the whole New York thing. Okay. It would have been just fine. So the first part of it, the whole New York part, you could take it as her just being pretentious and kind of being a hater a little bit on other okay. things that you're doing, or you could take it as just that's that slow decline. That you see, like you said, you saw it from the very beginning of her just kind of slowly well, going th- down. And then you could kind of help when she's trying to like, when she keeps talking about normal, trying to be normal. But mm-hmm. she just can't grasp it. You know what I mean? Maybe she just can't get to that normal. Maybe she can't feel this certain way. And I think a lot of, and I think, you know, another trigger before she went home was the attempted rape. Right. From the Peruvian, I think it's Peruvian, was it Peru that they were from? I don't remember. I can't remember this. He was he was a South American gentleman. Pretty much, he went to a party. Well, he's not a gentleman. He is you right. know, POS is what he is. But pretty much, he was invited to a party by Doreen. Mm-hmm. Yes. Doreen even said, "Hey, there's gonna be a you know, there's gonna be a guy of interest for you." Mm-hmm. And yeah, Esther and you, you didn't really care to go. And you want to and you want to trust Doreen, you know that right. wink, the friend wink. who parties all the time. Yeah, <laughs> but she was kind of hesitant to go, but she decided to go anyway. Yeah. I think it was like their last night in New York or something. Something like that. I mean, it was a party to toast them leaving. So she's like, mm-hmm. yeah, let me. So then this guy gives her this like diamond pick thing. Pick, a di- brooch or. Thing. I was like, pendant. why? I don't get it. But sure, whatever. Yeah. And then they go out to the gardens or something mm-hmm. like that. To like take a walk, and then, a stroll. And then he tries to take advantage of her. He forces himself on her, yeah. Very harshly. And she fights him off. Like, I felt all the women, any, all the women within us, like, yeah, take that. <laughs> take that and shove it, mister. Because she, like, didn't she, like, jam him in the nose or something? She did. I think she, like, something like she, that. like, jammed yeah. him in the nose to the point where he was just, like, it was just shattered. Right. And I'm like, yes, girl, yes. On a side note of that incident, a lot of people have speculated that 
at one point, Silva Plath herself was raped mm-hmm. in a situation like that. But in the book, she wrote that Esther had fought the guy off. And I felt like perhaps since she wasn't able to save herself in a real life situation, at mm-hmm. least in on the pages, mm-hmm. she can make Esther stronger than she was. Maybe. And even though all this New York scenes and quirkiness with like all the caviar or the food poisoning, there's some real life craziness here with yeah. this attempted rape. And that was the like the skirt moment right. of it for me. And that's when when she and then she went home and she was still dirty and she like threw her clothes off the roof. Yeah. And then she went missing for a little bit. So you know? I feel you feel like that was her tipping point I think that even was, more. I think that was definitely a push. Back in the day when this book was written and then it wasn't even published until later on or some something to that effect, like right before she died is when it was published. Mental health was so taboo back in that day. Right. And people didn't really understand. Like, even in the book, they really don't understand what's wrong with her. You know what I mean? They don't understand the theme of depression in this book. And I think because now, where we are now, we're more society, vocal. we're more vocal. Yeah. It's not so closeted anymore. Everybody can freely talk about this. Going to a therapist, speaking to someone about it mm-hmm. is a normal thing. You're listening to a podcast and there's a commercial that you can talk to. You can text a therapist now. Right. You know, and even when Simone Biles took a mental health day instead of doing her event, mm-hmm. I mean that was amazing. Yes, and we all applauded her. You know, some, of course she had some critics, but at the most part, we were like, "Yes, girl, take care of yourself." Right. And I think maybe because it was written back in the day, and that's how people saw it. Maybe us in our own twenty 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 twenties brain is really hard to wrap to really to yeah. maybe because she talks about it in that light. Versus maybe another book like Eleanor where it's like, boom. But I don't want to say maybe, because maybe. we're... I'm just saying maybe. Right, but I don't want to say because because we're not in that generation that we don't appreciate how Silver Plath wrote this. Because mm-hmm. I want to, like, I, like we said before, I want to really distinguish. We didn't like it in a certain way, you mm-hmm. know, Esther's character a certain way at that moment during New York or whatever, or the entire book. Not because of the subject matter yeah. or not because of how it was handled then. I mean, some of that stuff is frustrating what we read now, but oh. that's not why we didn't like the book. Yeah, no. It's and just the pacing. Yeah. To me, the tipping point instead of that right to me was when she came home, mm-hmm. you know, after this internship in New York and found out that she didn't get into her writing classes. Yeah. And then on top of all that, when, when she started getting depressed more and more, you know, not bathing or not wanting to go outside. Oh, yeah. When she finally saw Dr. Gordon, you know, the douchebag that he was. See, that's that's the thing you were talking about, how they handled depression back then, especially uh-huh. in women. He was immediately like, you need shock therapy. He barely yeah. talked to her. He didn't he, really get to know her. Yeah, and the whole thing with the family and the picture, he kept like, sh- like she kept feeling like he was shoving in her face. And at first I was like, maybe you're just seeing things. But then yeah. I was like, man, no, maybe he is. Maybe he's like, this is how you need to be. You need to right. be a mother like subliminal, with kids, what? like subliminally. I couldn't even say You know, word. because I'm a man, I'm smarter than you. I'm going to tell you how women, a woman needs to be. Right. But I also think a lot of it had to do with the unresolved in issues that she has with her mother, too. But there's some underlying issues she's got with her mama. But the baseline of that is because her father passed away mm-hmm. when she was nine years old. Mm-hmm. And whenever she thinks of happiness or any happy thoughts throughout this book, her father comes into the picture. That was the only time that Esther felt 
safe and secure maybe. And mm-hmm. the fact that the mom didn't let her go to a fun- his funeral. funeral. To his funeral. They didn't I don't even think she knew where the grave was until like a little later on or something. Right. Like that. So it didn't complete a full chapter in Esther's mind or childhood. Mm-hmm. Like it just kinda lingers. Like she doesn't know so, okay, so now where do I get happiness? Because yeah, obviously like, I feel horrible. I don't else. feel secure. I don't feel yeah. stable. Which, you know, I there's something there. And also the fact that I don't know. I don't know if you felt this. I felt this. Like when her mom was like, "Oh, you didn't get into that school." For like two seconds, I I thought I was like, "Her mom's lying to her. She just doesn't want her to go back to school." <laughs> I, I didn't truly, think that. I thought that. I thought like, man, man, her mama don't want her to go back to school, and that's why she's telling her that because she wants to keep her like, you know, keep her home, keep try to make her be a housewife, you know, like the Hi. other ladies in the neighborhood. You know what I mean? That's how I felt. I was like, her mom was lying to her. What? She really did get into that school. See, That's I didn't how I felt. hate the mom, but I honestly I, felt like, I didn't like her. felt like the mom is around that time because you have a daughter that's not doing the usual mean a man getting married and being a housewife with children. Instead, her daughter is throwing her clothes off the roof and mm-hmm. eating yeah, raw You're meat with raw this. egg. I am stuck with that because, you guys, we talk about snacks, you know, on the show because that's part of our show. I haven't talked about it for a couple episodes yeah. now. But I w- was going to mention I'm definitely not snacking on, like, raw burger meat and raw egg. Mm-hmm. I I know maybe I'm just kind of making fun of her depressive episode. That was But your that part point. was kind of nuts. That was your point. You're stuck on, I'm stuck on pocketbook. Like, right. I swear, they say pocketbook. Oh, my gosh. So, like... like Caddy wanted to grab one and throw it across the room. I did. I was <laughs> like, if I hear pocketbook one more freaking time, I was like, what is a pocketbook? It's a purse. I looked it up. It's a purse. I thought you thought it was one of those like, you know, those cool like 1950s clutch yeah. situations because I kept saying that how it matched your outfit. But yeah, I, I like, thought it was like a wallet clutch Cause thing. Because pocketbook in my head, I think of like a wallet, like a lady's wallet. Yeah. They kept mentioning pocketbook, pocketbook, pocketbook. And I'm just like, when oh, they say Belize, like the Belize was the <laughs> luggage. My grandmother used to right. say Belize all the time. Yeah. Yeah. She said Belize. So I'm like, oh, that's the luggage it's when like I read Eleanor it. I thought it was jerkin. <laughs> oh, with the jerkin. That's what right. I thought. I was like, you and the jerkin, me and this pocketbook. Damn pocketbook. But anyway, yeah. so but going back to the mom, I think she just didn't know how to handle what to do when her daughter is like this. I mean, no one truly knows no, how to handle no, because no, no. depression manifests itself in so many different ways mm-hmm. back then now future and especially with esther who was kind of on her way of like all right you did this internship this is wonderful you're getting your name out there writing courses you have a guy named buddy that you were supposed to marry or whatnot mm-hmm. how is she supposed to handle this daughter of hers yeah i mean she didn't really know how to handle them when their dad died you know what i mean so right this whole nother thing is just this this woman dealing with this that, and the other. But I felt like the little neighbor, the neighbor, Dee Dee Conway or Dodo Conway. Dodo Conway, thank yeah. you, Dodo Conway, the neighbor. She like didn't really say anything. She just kind of like went along with it. Like when she used to drive him to the doctor's appointments and stuff. Like Dodo never really said anything. She just kind of drove him, like a like an understanding mm-hmm. of a sense. And and I thought that was kind of nice because you figured Dodo would be that woman that just goes and tells the whole neighborhood that her kinda daughter's like the insane. Gossip lady. Like, but no. Nah. And she always looked up at her from her window and kind of just like I don't know. I, I thought there was like a like a sense of understanding there a little bit. Let's talk about her first shock therapy. Before reading this book, mm-hmm. I've heard that, you know, there's mention of shock therapy in this book and that the character goes through it, Esther goes through it. 
So then I read that part. Shock therapy was a big deal. Yes, that was unnecessary. Yes. But then it didn't build up that I, the way I thought it was going to build up until later on when she went to talk to Dr. Nolan, a different therapist, and the she told her that, hey, you know, your first douchebag doctor did it wrong. Do it wrong, yeah. I had no idea that was the case. With, with anything that she talks about in this book, Sylvia Plath, anything, she's so descriptive about everything. Everything is bounds and uh-huh. leaps about a paperclip, about a leaf on the tree, the pocket in her jeans. Everything is just leaps and bounds. But any monumental moment in this book is just uh-huh. very cut and dry, very matter-of-fact. Here we you go. You said bland. Bland, yeah. Yeah. And and that's one of those into where I had to kind of look it up a little bit and be like, oh, crap, she's supposed to be asleep. And, yeah, so- and, it's, and it's haunting to her every time now because she even makes a deal with Dr. Nolan She's like, I'm not going to do that anymore. And Nolan's like, look, when you do, if I ever do have to do it, I'm going to talk to you first. We're going to discuss it. You know, and I felt really bad for her because she put all her trust in Nolan. Like, she really did trust her. She told her everything. Like, she actually gained it from her later on when it happens again. At that moment, I think that's when I finally felt like a, like, not like a kinship, but like when I felt first, like, connected with her in a sense, just that, that it was a first time where she wasn't bland about something monumental there was feeling there was terror there was hurt betrayal i felt all of that at that moment in time when it happened with dr nolan again that's just kind of like when we talked about with the beginning of the book it's two totally different books Mm -hmm. you know the new york part where it just seems like she's just complaining about things yeah now you know you're like all right esther i mean i see that you're pretty affected by your surroundings, yeah. you know, your, the way you think of things. Mm-hmm. But then once she comes home, this is when you can see her spiraling down, right? Well, so maybe, I felt more for her there. Like, I cared for her at that point versus before. Yeah, like, it's the mask that she was putting on. Like, she didn't know is how to what feel. It is? She maybe. Didn't, I, I took it as she didn't know how to act. She didn't know how to feel because she wasn't really feeling much of anything. Nothing was really going for her. So she right. just kind of put out... An attitude that kind of matched the other girls. You know, a little bit bratty. They're a little bit right. petty, sassy. I see, yeah. You see what I mean? So she's just kind of adapting because she doesn't know how to or what to feel or what, right. you know, what she's going on right now. You know what I mean? Because you really don't know what's going on. You're going to fake it till you make it. I you see, know what yeah. I mean? So maybe I, I, that's how I took it. It just wasn't until that treatment with Nolan and her just crying and I'm just like man this is this is it like this is finally as sad what, as it yeah. as sad as it was hurt as I was I was hurt with her like finally she's feeling I can connect with her she's feeling something at right. this point as crazy what did you as think of Dr. Nolan I felt like at moments I I was like she's almost there but she's not there like she's there to talk to her but I don't think Nolan herself really cared. I think she was just going through the motions and she's just like putting out... she was out, just another patient. Yeah. Like it just, it wasn't there for me with Nolan, it, with Dr. Nolan. You know, Dr. Gordon was just an ass. Right. Plain and simple. He was an ass. I felt like because she was a woman and because she's in that profession, she still kind of had to be a hard ass. And she right. wasn't ready to shed that image to step over. Even though she said she felt nurturing when Nolan would hold her, I still didn't feel like that was with her but it threw me off when dr nolan was like we're gonna do electroshock therapy Mm -hmm. three times a week i was like really you're supposed to be the voice of reason for yeah like we had you know for esther 
Yeah, at first I was yeah. like, finally, a doctor that's not a douchebag and mm-hmm. the one that cares how Esther feels mm-hmm. and and asks how she's doing. Yeah. And, and then suddenly, so we're going to still do shock therapy. Mm-hmm. But I guess, imagine at that time, like, yeah. this is your profession. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in the medical world to where this is how you treat a patient, she's going to follow what she's been told yeah. kind of thing. But I, I was kind of back and forth on how I felt about her. So Back on a buddy. So buddy is her, you know, her boyfriend, sometime fiance, I guess, whatever. And <laughs> he comes to her and she wants to lose her virginity to buddy. He tells her that, oh, he gets naked in front of her. He oh, that gets, was he a, shows that his, was a funny part. Shows in the book. his glory. That same, like there was parts in the story where I thought yeah. it was funny that I connected with her as a woman. You know, when he just bears off for her and she's <laughs> just like, all right, you know. And she laughed. She laughed at him. And I can imagine, you know, he's just like, oh, you know. <laughs> but I mean, and then again, like, if she's never seen it, she's never been in that situation. Right. That's your first instinct. I can't blame her for laughing. Honestly, I probably laugh too. I'd be like, hey, because I'm an immature person. <laughs> That's just how I deal with things. But the fact that he just drops his pants and tells her that he's actually not a virgin anymore, even though Buddy in everybody's eyes is like this pillar, this martyr, this right. all-American I mean, his mom boy. makes him like that oh, firstborn son. Oh, every mom and their firstborn son. Right. <laughs> We're talking as the second-born little sisters. We're both. We're both. We're we have both. second-born sister. Yeah, we have we have the older brother that everyone loves. So <laughs> that's our own issues here, you know, since we're talking about issues in this book. So everybody, you know, thinks Buddy is perfect. Again, she's starting to see the world as not everything is as great as it is or how you see it as when you're young because you're growing up. You're starting to be more of a right. pessimist. You're starting to see how life really is. Right. You know, and she's starting to see Buddy isn't at all what he thought. Like Doreen, she's not all that she thought. Dr. Nolan isn't at all what she thought. You know what I mean? It's like she constantly gets kind of let down by these major characters in her life, her mother. Right. And she just hates Buddy for this. And she doesn't hate him for losing his virginity. Like, she doesn't hate him for that. That's not what the point is when right. her, her hatred towards Buddy is. She's mad at him because he just doesn't accept it. Like, he's still putting up these pretenses mm-hmm. about it. She's like, man, he had sex. Don't yeah. don't still be a choir boy. You had sex. Get over it. Tell your mama you had sex. <laughs> you know what I mean? All right. And that's what she's really angry about him for. And I'm like, I get it. I get it. Like, yeah. stop being fake stop putting up pretenses just be who you are and i get it i feel i felt like what she said about him like quit walking around like a goody two-shoes you know you're not you know what i mean just like doreen you know how doreen is don't go home and pretend like you're a georgia peach you know you're not a georgia peach (laughs) doreen you know and i felt that with buddy and it's just the pettiness and after that she's like i have to lose my virginity like she tried to lose it to the um to the tutor Remember All the right. Greek tutor that was beautiful? Constantine. 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 I'm like, wow, you <laughs> you got to speak eight languages and be like, a, you know, like an artiste, you know, grandeur or whatever to be named Constantine. That's just how I see it. You have to be like a philosopher in your own right or something. You know? I like how she collect names, the people that she knows. She's <laughs> like, I've met so-and-so and so-and-so. Now I've met Constantine. Mm-hmm. Constantine. I like that, collecting names. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and then when she meets Professor Irwin. She lost her virginity. Yeah. And she bled so much. She bled profusely. To where she had to go to the hospital. Hemorrhaging. As graphic as this part last, was. Yeah. A lot of it, I felt like it was in her head. 
Really? I felt like mm-hmm. she maybe have built up how losing her virginity was going to be. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel like she was expecting some sort of this big romantic, you know, I think courtship. she was a realist in her own right because she said it herself. Like, she didn't want to have it with anybody that she was going to see afterwards. That she, yeah. she really respected, I guess. She was like, he just has to be smart. That was right, the thing. He just right. had to be smart. But I yeah. felt like a lot of it was in her head mm. until she showed up at Joan's house. Joan's house, yeah. And she then didn't want him, she didn't want to go back to. She didn't want him right, to take her back to the asylum. And then she had to go to the hospital, mm-hmm. and yeah. they treated her. But I still felt like all that was just kind of all in her head. I, I may be wrong, but that's how I took it. Yeah. Like maybe she's overreacting. I she, I don't know. Reading that part, and then Joan is just so like, you what? know, just kind of like what. And but I love Joan. You love, yeah. I like the character Joan. I just took Joan for what she was because I think Joan truly wasn't. Okay, there. hold on. So I like Joan, mm-hmm. but I didn't get her character. You didn't get. Like, oh. I didn't. I couldn't fully imagine her like who she is in mm-hmm. the world of Esther. I almost thought that she was just kind of like this fun comic relief <laughs> through this through Esther's like dark dark world. Uh-huh. But then I still didn't get that character fully yet so joan stays at the asylum with her yeah at the homes with um with esther Esther and all she read about her and then she decided to go join her that was kind of crazy that was like some single white female stuff right there for a little bit i was like "Mm." and esther was kind of like okay yeah (laughs) esther's like uh, all right i mean okay well we're here now yeah i guess in her robe she like went she sashayed to her room in her robe (laughs) <laughs> I wanted to wear a robe now and get my pocketbook <laughs> because of this book. <laughs> While not eating the raw burger Or meat. caviar because that came... And she was much. obsessed with avocados too, yeah, wasn't she? she? What, is it, what did they call... Avocado pears. Uh, yep, they kept saying go. avocado pear and I was like... You're like, wait, what? Avocado pear? <laughs> That's some strange fruit from the 50s that's extinct now. <laughs> but um, let's go to Joan yeah, and what happens hey. with Joan. Honestly, I just thought like Joan, I, I don't want to say it and be insensitive. I don't want to say it to make fun of Joan, but I just truly think she was just that blank. But I thought just Joan not. was in her own world, but I didn't think that would suddenly turn out to be what happened, that yeah. she had hung herself. Yeah, she committed suicide on the grounds. That came out of nowhere, I thought. Yeah, because she, she had, because Joan had all the, um, the leaves. Like, she could go see a movie. She could go take a walk. She could do all these things by herself. And it just, you know, like, she's, it's like one sentence she's helping Esther deal with the whole hemorrhaging situation. And then, like, a couple paragraphs later, she committed suicide. Maybe, maybe Joan is one of those she can't be alone, right? So maybe. when she's with Esther or whoever, because there's a third person in the homes maybe. that they say with, I forgot her name. Yeah. Like, that's her need, her need to be kind of giddy and happy around people. Mm-hmm. But when she's not, yeah, but like she's she the opposite. She's loyal. Like, when she was dealing with all this stuff in the hospital, Esther, when she was dealing with the hemorrhage, Joan was there with her. She's like, she said, she's there like my foot soldier. Like, she's right there with me, because holding my hand. Because she's needed. She felt maybe, like she was needed. Maybe. And she felt important. And you're right, because she's like, I was here because you were missing. And now I'm here because you're here. But when that whole thing happened with Esther and the whole betrayal and all that, that's when I write. All right, I really started to feel for her, feel mm-hmm. with her. But when that happened with Joan, and she kind of just gave it a couple sentences, and I'm just like, Joan, girl, no. <laughs> I, I really... That was a shock to yeah. me. But yeah. you were kind of taken back by how Esther reacted to this whole thing with yeah. the funeral. Yeah, with the funeral, just 
few sentences and she was just really, like I said, she's really bland about major monumental moments. You right. Know? But then, I was telling Caddy, I thought when she was really vivid about her description of like her life, mm-hmm. like you said, the seashells and things like that, because mm-hmm. she was able to have this control and mm-hmm. understanding of her surrounding. Mm-hmm. But when big, major, monumental events like Joan's funeral or the rape or whatnot, she was really bland about it because she couldn't really grasp it. Like, it didn't make sense to her. And, you know? like, she's, I don't think she's ever had been to a funeral and not going to her dad's funeral and then going to her funeral. Maybe this is the first time she's living it and she doesn't know how. Yeah, she doesn't know how to She's kind of just experiencing it as experiencing it for like maybe the first time. I, I don't think she went to another one. Not that I remember that she talked about it. So, but the way it was written, whenever Esther wanted to kill herself, the way it's written, it's pretty chill too. Like mm-hmm. it's pretty standard of the mill. Like I try to kill myself, and here, yeah. here, and here. It wasn't. It's very matter of fact. Yeah. That's how it is. It's a little bit like a little bit like a mean store woman. A little bit like Eleanor. Like. You know, they have that same attitude. Yeah. But that was the first time during Joan's funeral that I remembered Esther has a brother. Like, oh, yeah. Like, that's when it clicked to me. I was like, wait, what? The brother is there? And I actually, like, kind of tried to flip back on my book going, did she have a brother? I had no idea. Mm-hmm. When I told Caddy this, she's like, yeah, she's had a brother. I'm like, oh. Firstborn boy, you figured he would have been like, his that's mom would have carried him on her shoulders throughout this whole book. <laughs> But overall, I loved the last few pages, the ending, though. We I didn't, didn't hate it. I just, I mean, I wouldn't, it wasn't. Well, we did say we didn't really like it that much. I didn't really, I didn't hate it. Let me just say right. that. I didn't hate it. I really didn't like it that much. You know, there was a few things, the pacing, the way it was written, just a few things. But it did, I did feel with her. Near toward the end. Yeah. Like, I loved, loved the ending. And where she just kind of walks in there. And you, and it's not to where you like, will she or won't she? You, you know, you're like, she's good. Like, she's. Right. Gonna get out of there. I wrote down, she leaves the end of the book that Esther is better and going to college. And it was kind of haunting a little bit, the fact that Sylvia writing that part, like like she has this relationship with her character Esther, Mm -hmm. and she has this hopeful moment that Esther will get better through shock therapy and all this stuff, because Sylvia knew that she wasn't going to get better. She Mm -hmm. knew that she was, to me, she knew that her tragedy will happen you know so at least she can kind of send off her character in a beautiful way yeah and that was the part to me that kind of rounded out the book okay and to where i thought it redeemed itself Mm -hmm. and i still stick to the part that the whole new york thing could just be cut off (laughs) like i'm okay with reading her coming home from new york i mean on Maybe she put that in there just to kind of tell you about the times, the way women were viewed. You know, I think that's really what it was for. Maybe kind of showing her to where this is where she was and this is where she is now at the end of this book. Like, that's the journey that she's taken. Because at the beginning, she always tells you, I'm one of the luckiest girls. I'm supposed to feel lucky. I'm supposed to be on top of the world. And she doesn't feel it. She doesn't know it. Or, I mean, she doesn't know it. She doesn't feel it. And, you know, and you realize why. Right. You know, because, cause, I mean, every every girl, every college-age girl wants to be in New York, wear fancy clothes, eat at beautiful right. places. and be taken, Eat a lot of caviar. Eat a lot of caviar and <laughs> avocado pears and carry around your pocketbook. 
That pocketbook again, Caddy? Damn pocketbook. You'll have your pocketbook while I wear the jerkin. Jerkin, yeah. So, yeah, that's that's what it's going to be. We're going to put that on there. You wear the jerkin, I'll have my pocketbook with me. <laughs> okay, I think that completes our discussion mm-hmm. of the bell jar. Mm-hmm. We did have a lot to say. So yeah. now, now I'm going to talk about Silver Plath a little bit. Silver yeah. Plath was born October 27th, 1932 in Boston. She eventually moved to London where her book was published. But first... She's an American poet, novelist, and a short story writer. The Bell Jar was actually published under the pseudonym Victoria Lucas. So she published collections, uh, The Colossus and Other Poems, in 1960, and Ariel in 1965, which is very popular. Mm -hmm. She was awarded the Pulitzer Prize in Poetry in 1982 for collective poems. Siva Plath was clinically depressed for most of her adult life. She was treated multiple times with electroconvulsive therapy, ECT. So this book kind of parallels her mental breakdown and suicide mm-hmm. attempts. But she herself actually had experience interning at Mademoiselle Magazine Yeah. at one point, just kind of like the book. Wow. She tried several times to take her own life. In 1953, she overdosed on sleeping pills. And then again in 1962, she drove her car off the side of the road into the river, which she said she, it was an attempt to commit suicide. Mm-hmm. Ziva Plath was married to a Ted Hughes, which he was a, a very well-known, very well-respected poet in his time. Oh, yeah, in his own He right, was yeah. a poet laureate. Yeah. Yeah. Her husband, Ted Hughes, that we're talking about, he is a crazy, crazy dude, I think. <laughs> I think he just grew so jealous of her legendary mm-hmm. self that like her, her he spiraled legend himself. yeah she did kill herself a month after the book was published um it came out in the uk first mm-hmm. and it didn't become popular right away no and she i guess never knew how Beljar is still talked about to I this mean, day we're still talking about- but this ted who's her husband mm-hmm. he resented her for being known as her husband instead of you know his own poet Self. There's a lot more to his ridiculousness dealing with her money and all. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to go into that because this is about her. Yeah, it should be rightfully so be about her. Right. And he but, can leave his resentments at the door. This is about her and her book that we're still talking about to this day. I didn't know who he was until I Googled it. <laughs> you know what <laughs> I mean? Until somebody mentioned who he is. Until somebody mentioned who he is. Early morning hours of February, February 11th, 1963, Sylvia Plath sealed her children's room with masking tape, turned on the gas, and stuck her head in the oven. She was 30 years old. I do love that she sent off Esther in a book mm-hmm. that... Esther is going to be better, and Esther is going to go to college and do what she wants to do, because I felt like Sylvia herself knew that mm-hmm. she wasn't going to have the same fate as Esther. Yeah. So whether or not you like the book, whether or not we like the book, it's still an American classic in its own right. right. I mean, 60 years later, we're still talking about your book. Right. We said at first you know. we didn't like it, but... You know, we still had some good but moments with it. But much respect to the author and her legend... You know what I mean? And in what she deals with and what others may be dealing with themselves. So, okay. so we have to move on. Yeah. We can't be in this bell jar, which I think it's a beautiful title. It was. It, that, you know, mm-hmm, that we forgot was. to mention that part, but it does sum it up. 
perfectly right. the way the way you feel the way that you are. Yeah. Well, and also there's a phrase. Sorry, we'll go back to bell jar again. <laughs> there's a phrase um, in I mean, the book, <laughs> right? That that have really resonated with a lot of people. A lot of literary tattoos. Okay. Are this part of the book, and it just it says. On page 243, but it says, I took a deep breath and listened to the old brag of my heart. I am, I am, I am. And that's during the later moments where I think I was really appreciating the book Mm -hmm. more and more. Sorry to say it for the 18th time. It's just I wish the New York part was gone. <laughs> I'm sure somebody's like, it needed to be there. I feel like it needed to be yeah, there. Yeah, but... I hope I'm not the only one, but we'll see about that. That's what it's all about. So we have this discussion. People may agree with us. People may disagree with us. You know, maybe right. a half C situation. We don't even agree most of the time. You know what I mean? Right. But it is. You it should is. have your thing. I have mine. Yep. So it is what it is at this point. Okay. But. So moving on to our next book that we are reading in this month mm-hmm. to be discussed next yep. month. Yep. It's my pick, which is... You know, I to be honest, I didn't realize what kind of book this was. Like, I, I read the synopsis. I'm like, this sounds amazing. And I read some reviews. I'm like, this sounds so cool. I didn't realize this is a romance book. Oh, well, I mean, kind of. It's, it's like women empowerment and romance. That's usually our theme. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Not the romance, but the women empowerment, definitely. Right. You know. But it's called In Five Years by Rebecca Sorrell. Yeah. In which... If you guys forget, because you're listening while you're driving, whatever, we have our website that you can look at our past discussions, listen to our past discussions. Mm-hmm. But there's also a list somewhere on our site of our next few picks that we've yeah. that we're going to so read. So you guys can get prepped, because you can kind of tell which one's Oki's, which one's mine. <laughs> right. Mine's going to be some quirky offbeat woman, and Oki's <laughs> going to be a two a back and forth. Someone's of two killing people. someone. <laughs> usually but then that's why i thought this one was gonna be so strange because it's kind of like a romance a little bit Uh, i mean a little bit let's let's get off the beaten path a little bit because my next one's gonna be a little a little different too so so our next episode is gonna be our mini-sode right the next one's gonna be our mini-sode and then after that's gonna be our midway check-in yep we'll be gonna ramble on about some a book that we both pick a little trivia a little quiz yeah and then then our another mini-sode I believe, yeah, then another yeah. mini-sode. And then we're going to do in five years. So we're, you know, building up a little bit. So you get a little bit of Oki and Caddy every week, like you said. And that's it for today, guys. Yep. Happy New Year. Mm-hmm. Um, we start off with a depression book, but it's cool. <laughs> we ended with a depression book. We, and then, yeah, you I know. Mean, it, it's, I still kind of But it's feel so interesting. It. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, have a good Merry... <laughs> have a good Merry New Year, everyone. <laughs> have Happy one. New Year, everyone. <laughs> Bye. Bye. This was going to be books, cats, and roller coasters. Ah! <laughs>